what's it going, Big Ray? What's going on? It's going, it's going well. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm down in a bunker here in a new uh, storage recording location. Uh, yeah, it's getting comical at this point. Well, the world's, it, it's gone. Down, the world's gone down the toilet since last we spoke, and yeah. you've, you've purchased a compound in the wilderness. Prepping. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> You've been uh, watching all those Charlton Heston movies. Never mind. Uh, after doing Death Wish 3 uh, last episode, um, yeah, my wife and I, we took a good long uh, look at uh, sort of an urban versus rural uh, existence and we headed out, man. We uh, headed out for the country. So it's been a bit of a wait, but I've been moving if, if people have been wondering what's taken us so long. Yeah, and then the last week, and I finally, after after just like walking and zigzags and like dodging and rolling on the ground for for two and a half years, I finally got COVID. Yeah, so my my, uh, my family went on a little trip without me, and they brought it back on the airplane. And I tell you, man, <clears throat> you know what they needed on the airplane was like an undercover agent uh, who had done some lecturing in, on medicine. Absolutely. To, to figure out that they needed to do some proper isolation and wear some wear some masks on that plane. Yeah, for sure. Or to yeah. figure out if the epidemic was real. <laughs> yeah. Or if well, it had just been drummed up for profit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know what they uh I don't know if they were mixing up in Wuhan, man, but uh <laughs> it wasn't much fun this week, I'll tell you that much. No, yeah. I bet not. But you're looking you're looking spry. You're looking at least you're looking eighty percent, which is another man's one hundred and ten. Oh, thanks, Big Ray. Uh, you're looking, you know, uh, like a, at least a man and a, a man and a third, as you, as usual, one hundred and thirty percent. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get us into business here, man. We are here today on uh, Hard Times on Film. My name is Nick. My name's Ray, and we're talking about Break Hard Pass. So, Big Ray, man, this is a you know, this was a film I had never seen before, brother, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about it. I was surprised by that that you had never seen it. This is uh this is a like a mid-career like Bronson's he's a popular star at this point. Uh and played on t- like TV a lot, I think over the years probably kind of late night. The fact that you managed to miss this uh, was a bit of a surprise. After having watched it, I was like, wow, like, how did I not see this film? And, I, and honestly, when we went into it, I thought I had. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about it. So let's, uh, let's do exactly that. So film on location in Idaho in 1975, Breakheart Pass was directed by Tom Grise. And I looked that up and that's how that guy's name spelled or pronounced. Grise. Okay. Yeah. Who uh, fans will know from Breakout, another Bronson action gem of the mid '70s that I believe I have seen, but maybe I haven't, based on this experience. Uh, this was released in February of '76, so early in that year, and distributed by United Artists. Uh, it cost about six million bucks to make, and sadly only earned about two point one million at the box office. So it was a bit of a disappointment on the commercial front, but uh, it had a lasting impact. And I'm sure it's probably made up for all that on video rental and, and streaming and, uh, and from t-shirt sales. Like me. <laughs> t-shirt sales and yeah. Uh, figurines and stuff. <laughs> Action figures. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the uh, the Ed Lauder action figure oh, is probably sure. worth like hundreds of dollars. Came eBay. with a mustache comb. <laughs> it's like a, a mustache that keeps that. growing. I remember that to find one <laughs> to find one on eBay that still has the comb. <laughs> <laughs> it had that cool slider on the back where you could, if you slid it up his back, his mustache grew. <laughs> yeah, huge money, huge money on the yeah. market. Yeah. yeah. Why aren't we working in marketing for films, man? I'm telling you. I don't know. So Charles Bronson was about 53 years old when this was filmed. Uh, and he is in peak mid-70s condition here, Big Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Break Our Pass was the next film released after Hard Times. So we know he's in you know ridiculous shape. Uh, and for Bronson scholars, Break Hard Pass is, is uh, the film released between 75's Hard Times and 1976's Noon Until Three. 
Big Ray, man, this was uh, just a film with like, I'm calling it a laundry list of plot devices, just an unbelievable number of like, it's not quite uh, any specific genre too. like, we'll get into all this in a few minutes, but I kind of feel bad for you to try to do a film in 60 seconds because so many weird things happen in this film. Are you up for it or what? What's going on? Oh, oh, I'm up for it. There were a lot of twists and turns, though. Like the way that I do this is I usually watch the movie and I'll just kind of talk into the notes on my phone to to sort of record the things that happen and man this got long like there are so many <laughs> so many get, events a, get and, a second phone yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's that secret second phone of yours for <laughs> for my bronson notes <laughs> yeah. yeah we're not that exciting eh no no yeah but i think so i really had to i had to whittle it down it's gonna go fast i hope it's worth it um i might go over you know all the usual preamble well i'm excited to hear it so let's rock it my man i'm gonna get the timer going here one second on your mark get set and go an army transport train carries a wild crew including the governor his lover a u.s marshal a priest and a doctor toward fort humboldt and a diphtheria epidemic delivering medical supplies and picking up the outlaw calhoun unbeknownst to them calhoun is in control at the other end of the line or is it known to some of them in the town of myrtle two officers go missing and the train picks up john deacon played by charles bronson a medical lecturer wanted for cheating at cards and accidentally killing some people in a fire passengers start turning up dead everybody starts giving each other shifty looks and deacon starts snooping around as they get closer to break hard paths one guy is hurled off a bridge and the car carrying the soldiers is mysteriously disconnected from the train and launched off a cliff deacon discovers the bodies of the missing officers then impersonates whoever is sending the covert messages to let calhoun know the soldiers were still alive he also discovers the body of the dead priest and that the train is not carrying medical supplies but munitions the cook attacks bronson and gets thrown off a bridge for his troubles bronson finally reveals he's secret service after 400 winchester rifles stolen from a factory the Reverend had been working with Deacon. There's no diphtheria after all, and the revelations come fast and furious. Everyone, including the governor, is involved, trying to swap a ton of gold with White Hand at Calhoun for the rifles. Bronson, Ireland, and Louder head runaway train style to the finish line, where White Hand and his men take the train. Calhoun takes Ireland. The governor shoots Calhoun, and Bronson blows the tracks. Louder arrives with the cavalry from Fort Humboldt and kills the governor. Bronson turns out to be a man of violence after all. He gets kind of close to Ireland, but then walks on down the track the end all right man well you know that's that's a it was a minute and a half but you know i honestly i don't know how you get around that like there's nothing on there that you'd trim and that was very well but by the way very well written i enjoyed the (laughs) through the word nonced in there and i don't know i don't know if that's a word but uh yeah we've talked about this before though in the past when when louder's on the scene too i think you gotta attack on an extra 15 seconds yeah it's the co-star it's almost like a it's almost like a two-star two-pronged two-headed monster that's right yeah (laughs) yeah so you know i was giving myself the louder 15 well, you know what? We often just dive right into the entrances. At the end of Death Wish 3, we promised that we'd take special care of uh, tracking Ed Lauder's entrance. So why don't we start with that this time, man? So uh, what, did you, what do we see when, when Ed Lauder first arrives on the scene? Well, so we see him very early. We see him earlier than Bronson in the film. Uh, and he and Durning uh, come out of that train car, right? Yeah, they've got uh, they look like they're on a bit of a mission. He's like straightening up his uh, his uniform. He's about to go start barking some orders. His stash is is tight and very uh, striking. I think yeah. how you might put it. Uh, yeah. What do you what did you think? Well, yeah, I think uh, Louder's got kind of a kind of a pasty sort of a pallor and having that black stash. Like it's, he hasn't seen the, a lot of sunshine, that guy, at least in the months leading up to this uh, filming. So the, <laughs> he's coming straight up the aisle of a of a train car and they shoot it from below and he's pulling this jacket on. And you just barely see his head popping over the top of this That's coat right. he's pulling on. But boy, there's no mistake in Ed Louder in that one. And uh, similarly, so Bronson's entrance is fairly fairly low key. Yeah, you see Bronson's back from above, going up some stairs into what we see later as a gambling hall or a saloon, and then it cuts to the inside, and he opens the door from the outside, and we see him against the background of this incredible scene of the foothills there in in uh, Idaho, and it's it's actually quite beautiful, and he looks amazing, right? He's dressed like kind of like. Uh, 
Um, he's got a big coat. He's got yeah, a big black coat. And uh, he looks like, I think he looks like Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath when they, if you look it up too, I, I was like, he does look like Tony. And I looked it up on the, on Google and it's like, if you look for Tony Iommi goes to the, uh, the the Sabbath induction of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's dressed just like Bronson and Break Hard oh, Pass. Man. Okay, maybe we'll try to throw that up on uh, on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, an AB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. But yeah, he, he looks great, and so the camera doesn't dwell on him either, which is interesting too. And in a lot of other uh, directors' hands, we've seen the showcase of Bronson's entrance as something that's a little more kind of uh, deliberate and. Um, and in this case, I think it's a, a trend throughout the film that the, you know, Grise doesn't doesn't deviate far from the action, and his pacing is always a little strange. So rather than really enjoy this yeah. moment, it it goes by pretty quick. Yeah, that you never luxuriate in like shots of like close-ups of his face or really of anything. Like he just keeps it moving. Like the movie <laughs> moves at quite a clip. Well, yeah, it probably has to in some ways because there's just you know, such a laundry yeah. list, right? But hey, listen, another noteworthy entrance here is Robert Tessier's first appearance. So oh, this, yeah. again, is right after Hard Times. He looks incredible with his huge beard and his yeah. dubbed voice, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> the, so it's not his, his not his real voice. That's no. not his voice, no. no. They dubbed it for some reason. I don't know what was, was going on. Was it dubbed on. with another actor, or is it just dubbed in that way that they would do post like, you know, like Italian movies or whatever? I read that it was dubbed by another actor with a, with a oh, okay. deep voice. Well, it's hard to imagine Tessier's voice wasn't powerful enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, once they, put that, once they put that beard on him, like, what voice could live up <laughs> to that look? Interestingly enough, though, in his first scene, he he shoots that soldier right in the head. It's an incredibly violent scene. Oh yeah, they don't they don't pull the camera back either. They just show this guy that that guy. I swore at the beginning, I thought that was Sam Elliott, you know, but I I don't think it was. He's certainly <laughs> no, not credited so. with this, right? That's the train, Calhoun. What do I tell him? How do I know you won't pull no fancy tricks? I swear I never would. Well, I believe you, soldier. My God! Don't you give me no trouble, Colonel. I got your blue bellies locked up. By God, I'll skin them alive, one by each. One by each, 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 one by each. Like, there's so many things, just in mentioning a couple of things there, there's a couple of ideas that might come up in our big idea later, I think. Like, one is the violence of that scene. And then two is just how Tessier, like, I mean, how long would you say he's on screen in this movie? For like, for as incredible yeah. as he looks, and talking about how Grise keeps things moving, Tessie is <laughs> probably on screen for about like seventy seconds of this whole movie. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. a couple minutes, but you're right; yeah. it's less. It's less than two minutes. Yeah, and he's such a presence; like he's a great villain in this movie. Yeah, I know, but he's totally. Well, anyway, I won't say he's wasted, but he is. He's wasted in this, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. this role because he looks yeah. like you just want to see him battling Bronson on the top oh. of one of these. Uh, you know on the top of the train or something but yeah sure yeah how they didn't capitalize and sort of orchestrate the two of them ending up shirtless on the top of a mountain <laughs> or the top of the train yeah one might imagine that if had you just kept the camera rolling on set you probably would have saw them grappling at some point you know yep. just two powerful men like that uh left to their own devices i'm sure they come to blows it's like you and i that's why we do these uh, over zoom because if we didn't we just come to blows <laughs> we never got the, the conversation never finished yeah, every disagreement would have to be settled with with fisticuffs. Yeah, right. so Bronson's role in this is—I uh, actually think it's quite a bit like Ray St. Ives, and, mm -hmm. and the reason why I say that is because so he's a man of mystery and nonviolence. Though we find out later that he does have some some skills in the in the violence uh, department. Yeah, uh, Deacon's a bit of a fly on the wall, right? He's an observer. Uh, he's entertained by the people he's traveling with, and he doesn't ever seem to be bothered. <laughs> in a hurry he isn't afraid of anyone and he's always a step ahead so it's you've heard that story before yeah 
Um, but in this case, he does have a bit of a uh, of an unusual character, Ray. Well, what are your thoughts? Well, he's got, like you said, like St. Ives. St. Ives of, of the West, I think, is is sort of dead on. He's got the sense of humor. Um, he's not a quiet individual, you know. He's not at Bronson a few words. Like, he seems to like to talk, and he's social with the other characters in any solving a mystery, right? Like St. Ives too. So I think you're, I think you're absolutely right that they have a lot in common. Yeah. It's a good role for Bronson. I do enjoy that. He uh, seems to have a lot of fun with Ireland again, too. Yeah. It's a special treat when you see him in a, in a movie that Ireland does a good job in like this movie specifically, I think her acting is quite strong. Mm. So like Ray St. Ives, though, and St. Ives in general, like this film has some great style, man. It's a bit, it's a bit of a hodgepodge, though. It's supposed to be 1872 or something like that. And uh, I have one critique is that there's just a lot of mustaches, but everybody's faces are very clean, you know, and they all look yeah. really clean. Like, I guess the, yeah. the, the bathroom car, like the, there must be a shower car and they're, you know, just a constant lineup for the shower in the in the train because they're all clean all kinds of little soaps laid out (laughs) good conditioner and shampoo and everything yeah (laughs) yeah it's true it does lack it does lack some of the the grime the dirt of the of the west yeah yeah yeah. i I would agree like people look pretty fresh-faced um uh with the exception of tessier of course (laughs) all all throughout this movie yeah it's true one thing about one thing about the style of the film that i noted was not just the clothes or anything but the opening credits are very this is very reminiscent of mr majestic did you did you notice this oh yeah that's a good call just the graphic design of the credits with the how the sort of the black and white photography that's kind of turned into this these red lines that go across the screen yeah is very very similar to the opening credits of of Mr. Majestic. I wondered if they were trying to capture, just be reminiscent of that a little bit. Well, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the music, actually, Ray. We'll get to that in just one second. I just have one quick note I want to make before we get there about uh, Bronson's mustache, man. Mm. He's the one character who clearly has uh, not been allowed, although he's allowed to roam freely to the rest of the train. He hasn't been been granted access to those little soaps and the, and the, sh- the shaving uh, toiletries car. Yeah. So he's, he's looking, uh, what do you, what do you want? What do you oh. want to say about his, uh, his mustache? I got something to say about his hair, but yeah. Okay. Well, well, I kind of treated them as a bit of a team. I wrote in my notes, it looks a little bit to me. I had written, um, majestic light ah. is what I had written down. It's sort of like neither of them are quite as grown out. Right. Like he doesn't quite look like he's working in the melon fields, in this one. <laughs> well, but it's in the zone. It's, it's, it's a similar look in both the hair and the stash, but maybe not quite, not quite all the way there. Well, you, you think? well, you know, he filmed, he filmed hard time. So he had the rugged Cheney side fade there just months prior, oh, right. By force yeah. of sheer will, he's managed to grow it out quite, a, quite a distance. Push it out. <laughs> You know, he usually he hasn't quite gotten to the sort of slippery Marky Smith kind of, you know, greasy mechanic (laughs) hair or even even to the majestic. But uh, he's trying pretty hard. He is getting there. He does look good, though. I think this is a good length for him, actually. Yeah, I agree. You know, I agree. He can go either way with this length. Yeah, like he could look very professional, you know, like in a conservative kind of way, or he could look like he was on his way to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with uh, Ozzy and (laughs) Caesar Butler or whoever. One of the two. We'll talk about the substance here shortly. And one point I get into is the fact that this movie is a bit of a grab bag of styles and genres. And I think this is really well exemplified by the film's music, which is an odd blend of, you know, this weird kind of, early synth drones and then big swelling orchestrated Western themes, uh, big Ray. So aside from the Mr. Majestic kind of connection, just in terms of, you know, the, the style, uh, what do you want to say about the legendary Jerry Goldsmith, man? Well, Jerry Goldsmith, legendary indeed. And while he does, um, what is, I think it's three Bronson movies. I think, uh, we haven't talked about, this is the first one we've talked about. So it's great to be able to talk about him. Uh, one of my favorite composers for sure. This guy, uh, you know, over 250 credits and literally too many 
great movies to mention and really varied credits too. And he, he worked in a lot of genres, sci-fi, Western, all that kind of stuff. Even within these genres, a lot of variety, uh, big budget affairs, and then some really low budget stuff. He did all sorts of things. He in the seventies, kind of in the height, he was seventies, eighties. He was, he was often called upon to kind of be the next guy in line if John Williams wasn't available. So he, you know, not that he was like an also ran, but, you know, instead of Star Wars, he does Star Trek. Instead of Superman, he does Supergirl. Instead of uh, Raiders, he does uh, King Solomon's Mines for canon films and that sort of stuff. But beyond, right. though, I mean, the guy did Planet of the Apes, which is a legendary uh, groundbreaking score. He does Alien, Poltergeist, the Rambo movies, Logan's Run. Uh, so, yeah, the list goes on. Uh, 1975, when he's scoring this, he's coming off doing Chinatown and Papillon, which a couple of a couple of heavy wow. hitting movies. So he's a high profile composer, um, and and he'll do two Bronson movies in a year, Breakheart Pass, and he'll come back for Breakout as well. Yeah, and uh, Cable Blanco just a couple oh, years yeah. after that and too. Cable yeah. Blanco, yeah. So I I love this soundtrack, man. I don't know about you, but I I love it. But my relationship with it is a bit weird because when I'm watching it in the context of the movie and at first I'm listening for it, it didn't do a ton for me. What's coming through is this sort of big rollicking Western, kind of like family Saturday matinee kind of Western um, stuff that comes through right from the opening credits. And then it, it recurs all through the movie. But what I discovered in in tracking down the soundtrack um, on YouTube, this came out on vinyl at one point and CD later, but I, I don't have it. So I had to listen to it on YouTube. But when you listen to it as an album, all kinds of other colors start coming through that are just really great, like suspenseful stuff, uh, like creepy stuff, um, action music. It's not just that... Dun -dun -dun, dun -dun -dun. <laughs> that uh, that's rocking you know that you hear quite a lot through the movie and and so um i i don't think some of it plays all that great in the context of the film i don't think that's goldsmith's fault i think a lot of it really gets buried in the mix in this movie and whether that's the director's choice or whoever was doing the sound editing but um like i really encourage people to to go have a listen to this whole score I don't think it's on any streaming services, but you can get it on YouTube. And and it's really, really great. And there's a ton of stuff you're going to hear in there that I think you probably miss in watching the movie. I wow, sure did. Wow, cool. So you think the mix was maybe like the, the movie mastering or the movie mixing? Yeah, somebody, dro somebody dropped the ball. Like I was watching this on, on the relatively new Blu-ray where you think everything's going to be about as shiny as, it, as you're ever going to hear it. Uh, and yeah, even in that context, not a lot comes through in the context of the movie. It's really I love thinking about stuff like that, man. Like how, you know, maybe the, maybe the mix engineer didn't like Grise or something, or just maybe someone's nephew got hired to do, do the sound mixing, you know, like you never know. Or had his own idea about the movie, like, and what it was supposed to be. Like you were saying, it is a bit of a grab bag, like really turned up the volume on all the adventure Western stuff but really turned down the volume on all the like mystery uh, murder kind of elements. Wow. That's something else, eh? To get uh, your hands on, on a score like this and, and just decide to bury wonderful elements of it. Like these magical, you know, compositional elements and, yeah, who knows what happened. Well, it is uh it's a movie like that though, I have to say. So, I guess that that's a good segue into my my big idea. This, this is the substance of the film, the substance section. <laughs> this is the substance. <laughs> what follows? The substance according to Nick and Ray. So Breakheart Pass is is very enjoyable. It's a quirky movie with, uh, like I said, a laundry list of plot devices, the spectrum of good characters and fun action, but it's a really hard movie to pin down. Uh, firstly, it's not a typical Bronson film because his character spends the first 75% of the movie uh, claiming not to be a man of violence. And it's also not a typical Western because the train, like I was saying, you know, everyone's very clean. The setting, the setting feels a bit 
later stage. It's not quite dusty or Wild West enough to feel like a classic Western. The military element and the First Nations tribe throw it off the path of being a pure murder mystery. And there are odd elements like the Jill Ireland love triangle, the military dynamics of Louder's command, the weird governor and the fake tuberculosis outbreak. Uh, it keeps the movie from being easily classified. So in the end, of course, the real Bronson emerges and he is a man of violence. Finally, in the last 15 minutes of the film, right, he throws Carlos, that huge chef guy off the train. Um, he does shoot that indigenous guy and then, <laughs> and then he knocks another one out cold to steal their horses. <laughs> right. It's uh, he should, yeah, he reveals himself pretty quickly at the end. And then he does shoot the corrupt U S Marshal uh, in kind of this, albeit awkward staged kind of gunslinger duel. Uh, but still this isn't strictly an action movie and it isn't strictly a Western or a mystery. And I think that's both the movie's most interesting quality and sadly it's biggest stumbling block. So make no mistake, I really enjoyed the movie and I'm going to give it a pretty good rating here. It's just that I, I think that there are flaws in the way the movie is directed. Or maybe a better way to put that is that there's an awkwardness at play throughout the film that isn't quite unsettling enough to be a strong intentional ingredient, but it's present enough to be a little bit frustrating. So I'll explain myself here. You know, that shootout's a great example. Um, it happened too quickly. So Ben Johnson's a great actor. This, his character and Bronson's character throughout the film, they have a, a tension that's building. And then during the, the denouement, the two of them are really close. There's no suspense. It's just a quick shot and Bronson just moves on, right? The, the tension between those two, it doesn't ever get relieved in that moment. And um, yeah, Grise just chooses instead to keep this, you know, his fast paced economical kind of filmmaking going instead of... Uh, reveling in that moment or, or capitalizing on on the you know the release of that character from the film the ireland character is another good example she gets some good moments here early and we'll hear from andy shortly but um her presence and strength fades about halfway through the film and then she becomes more of a set piece you know and i think that wastes that on-screen chemistry between her and bronson they provide enough of it on their own to keep us interested in their character's dynamic, but Grice holds back. And I think it probably could have been a lot more of a flavor of the film had he been a little more mindful of it. It does feel like a bit of a waste. And then the final example we touched on a little bit is that Tessier's character is established really well at the outset. And the movie builds to this big confrontation with him and his uh, First Nations outlaw, you know, crew there. Whitehead. But yeah, white hand and all those dudes are they're ready to go. And then Tessie himself is just gunned down by the shady governor because he he finds Ireland on the on the train. And so you don't really have much of a of a release there. It's just like a very wasteful use of Tessier's charisma and his on-screen presence. And then again, you know, I just mentioned with the marshal, there's no real payoff in the confrontation later between um, Louder and the and the villains, right? Or Bronson and the villains. So yeah, I don't know. On the on the plus side, the movie covers a lot of ground. There's tons of plot devices, unique dynamics between many of the characters, plenty of effective tension and action. It is enjoyable, but it just sort of settles into maybe second or third gear in the first few minutes and never gets past that into classic Bronson territory. So it's not easily categorized or understood, which is a strength in my opinion, but I'm not convinced this nebulousness was intentional or pulled off in a masterly way. So from an entertainment perspective, the lack of mastery pulls the movie down a pretty big notch. Uh, but from a film studies perspective, this odd dynamic is really interesting. And I think it makes the movie enjoyable for its execution as much as its action and story. So that, that's more like historical, like looking back at this director at this specific time. It is interesting that he made those choices and you wonder why maybe it, it feels sometimes like this movie was affected by, you know, some screenings where the producers were like, yeah, turn that, turn that music down in that section. Let's, let's really capitalize on the, you know, the, the bonanza is huge right now. Let's jack up the, let's yeah. jack up the, the main theme, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Like, we don't need that romance piece. The kids don't want the romance, oh. you know, like, who knows? It does feel a little tampered with or Grise just kind of couldn't couldn't blend all those amazing elements together in a way that actually worked. Yeah. Well. And that's you know what, like like we said, um, I'm I'm on board 100 percent with everything you're saying. That's basically what I wrote, too. I wrote down that uh, this movie really has a kind of a personality crisis. It doesn't feel like it knows what kind of movie it wants to be. Right. Like, is it a kind of a runaway train western 
right? With the big bad waiting at the end in the form of Tessier and, and White Hand that we're all looking forward to the big showdown. It's not, doesn't really do that. Is this like an Agatha Christie mystery with a whole bunch of interesting characters on a train and people keep dying and, and one guy's there trying to figure out who did it? It's not really that either. Is it a Bronson movie where he's being Bronson and he's just taking guys down, you know, with with ease and we just love watching it? It doesn't really do that. Like it does all of these things in moments, but it never chooses to like really lean in and establish any of those tones or any of those goals. And so it really yeah. jumps about here and there and you don't get a real it's like you just get a taste of five different things that are all good but you don't get a real satisfying amount of any of them and i yeah and oh. i i find it a, a bit frustrating this reminds me of when we were talking to talbot and he mentioned this is one of the movies he'd like to see a sequel to right and i i can totally see why because by the end of this movie you have someone, you've arrived at someone you want to watch, right? Bronson is a man of violence, um, but he's also got some secrecy about him. He works for the Secret Service. He's in this period of the West. He's going down the tracks like, okay, I know who this guy is. The, the next movie, like imagine how good the next movie he can be. Like this movie takes, you don't know who Bronson is for two thirds of this movie. And I think that's, I think that's one mystery too many. I think the fact that um, we don't know what's going on with the with the epidemic, with the soldiers, all that kind of stuff, who's in on it. But then we also don't know who the main character is that's trying to figure out all the other stuff. And it and it, it's not that it's so hard to understand, but I think it just gets confused in the storytelling. In, in, in trying to keep all this information from you, I think it misses a bunch of some opportunities. Yeah, well, we're on the same page, Ray. It's pretty rare that you and I both take a film away and, and come back with the exact same take. So this is a monumental, I feel the first time in the, in the yeah. entire uh, two, two seasons we've done thus far. So mark the date. <laughs> it may not happen again for, for a year or so. Uh, but listen, you know, in spite of all those things, there are some pretty strong elements in this film, not least of which is the action. There's some oh, great yeah. action in this film. And I, I'll start with, uh, there's a lot of violence in this film, Ray. Mm -hmm. It's intense, yeah. man. There's some like, it's a PG movie, but there's some heavy violence where like, yeah. firstly, Tessier shooting that guy in the head right off the get go. You know? It was delivered so matter-of-factly. Like, <laughs> when I was watching this movie, my wife wasn't watching with me, but she was in the room and and kind of half-watching, maybe out of the corner of her eye. And when Tessier just shot that guy right in the side of the head, it's like, um, she was just like, oh, my God, what, like, what are you watching? Because it was just so violent. But yet it's kind of what we were just saying. It just sort of stands alone at a level of violence the movie never really the movie never really returns to that level of violence which it's makes so that insane. moment all the more bizarre yeah, it's pretty incredible like yeah. he just he's just so ridiculous i hate to laugh it's it is it's it is terrible violence but it, it's pretty funny <laughs> oh, but it's in a massive fake <laughs> top beard just laughing with glee yeah, his beard, like, like, he looks like he could have come from uh messenger of death like one of those yeah. two families eh like yeah. the, the one guy from one side that's just gonna gonna tip the scales for whatever side of that family has him <laughs> the guy they let him out of the barn he looks so intense just as a total aside i was watching uh you're gonna get a kick out of this i was watching barney miller last night oh yeah <laughs> dialed up an episode of barney miller and it had zenus in it <laughs> from messenger of death Amazing. and he was playing an amish guy <laughs> what year oh it would have been the 70s uh yeah, early no, 80s. That, was on, that was on for like eight seasons i think it was like 80 81 maybe something wow, like that so yeah, pre was, pre messenger of death man yeah his uh the the actor's real name escapes me at the moment but i thought that was really funny that's great man 
Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go, Ray. You're really living the dream, man, out in your compound. Yeah. Yeah. Just out of the, yeah, just out of <laughs> just the compound. Big stack of Bernie Miller DVDs. <laughs> so a couple other notable action scenes, though. Whenever anyone falls off this train, they seem to fall yeah. over a bridge and hit every single piece of wood on the way down the bridge. And it makes like whoever did the Foley sounds really indulged, eh? <laughs> Just smacking sides of bone, bone crushing, yeah. you know, thuds. It's just ridiculous. And you know, I you know that's what I like because like we've talked in the past, <laughs> like when somebody is gonna go out a window, it better it needs to be more than that Death Wish three tumble that guy takes. I want, somebody needs to go off like one of these massive bridges. <laughs> it definitely filled filled like a dummy full of full of potatoes or something just threw him off yeah. the side of that train. You know, another great scene and again just speaking to to the element here of violence in this film. So the train engineer eventually gets shot, set on fire, thrown off the train and then rolls through a snowbank to his death, which is you know, it's four four elements of of death there. Pretty pretty yeah. intense. Louder carves up the governor with his saber. That's how the yeah. government the governor dies, right? <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Louder goes into this battle and pulls out his saber. <laughs> it's so crazy, yeah. man. <laughs> in a gun, it's mostly a gun fight. But- yeah. It's like to go old no problem, man. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna show these recruits how it's done. And then yeah. there's the train full of soldiers. Yeah, um, yeah, heading heading off that cliff. And speaking of the foley artist, the one thing I noticed about that moment when the train is going off, uh, like you don't see any bodies fly out of the train or anything like that. It's just the train. Yeah, but they overdubbed these screams, like these. <laughs> <laughs> these wild That's waving right. screams over the top <laughs> of that train going off the cliff that uh, they struck me as a little bit funny yeah well that's funny though so because uh you'd mentioned that um the very very famous potentially the most famous stunt person of all time is this guy named yakima Knut, and um he did the dirt the uh, stunt direction, stunt coordination for that scene and, and the rest of the film as well. And this was his last screen credit in a career that lasted over 60 years. So he, he um, directed the chariot race in Ben-Hur in 1959. Like he did so many huge stunt uh, firsts in, in film history. And this was his last film. And he actually had loaded that one car full of dummies. Like they were full of, of soldier dummies and they were supposed to come out but they did it all. They blew their one shot, right? The trains went over the side of the ravine and it's incredible, but they, and they're, they're filled with dummies that didn't come out the, the, the <laughs> debris. To, like I'm going to give, well, if he did the chariot race in Ben-Hur, like that's just the prize basically stunt moment in film. So I'm going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt, but if I imagine bunch of dummies <laughs> flying out those windows, you know, see, like, I don't think that would have looked great. That great. Well, I don't know, man. But it would have been I'm horrific. Sure he would have made it happen somehow. Yeah, but it would have been horrifying too. Like, yeah. imagine you're watching that on like. Uh, we used to have this uh, in Nova Scotia there, and I lived there as a kid. We get this uh, Bangor, Maine, had this six o'clock movie every night, and I yeah. could just imagine sitting there, you know, eight years old, watching this train go over the side of a ravine with all these little soldiers flying out, like. <laughs> just awful too so yeah i don't know maybe it's a blessing in disguise that we didn't have to see that but yeah the train top was pretty uh, pretty good action bronson's on the train top himself you see it's yeah. a number of you times see it's moving which is all yeah it looks great yeah it's pretty that's there's so there is some good action some worthwhile actually some great stars and, and i should touch on that for a minute too man but before we get there, maybe let's shoot over to Andy because uh, I want to hear what he has to say about Jill Ireland in particular. And we've already said ourselves that we both agreed Ireland did a pretty good job. Let's hear what Andy has to say. He's been holding up here uh, on standby. It's sure. a million degrees in London, apparently. Like London's got this incredible heat wave. So let's hear how he's doing. One sec. Direct from London, it's the Ireland Effect. Said he's having some technical difficulties. So yeah, man. Oh, here he goes. Hey, how you doing? Hi. Good. How are you? 
Good, man. Nice to see you. How's Good. it going? Were we supposed to be sleeveless tonight? <laughs> He's got sleeves. <laughs> it's like 40 degrees here. I'm in the I'm I'm in the attic yeah. of my of my house here and it's uh Well, this is yeah, I, I'm feeling really good about this. It's hot. It's hot as hell in here, but that's okay. <laughs> here too, yeah. My attic is is mega hot. How's it? How's it down there, Big Andy? London's. Uh... That's not bad, actually. I mean, it's humid, but I don't know. I've got air conditioning in the house. I'm lucky. Well, we're uh, we're lucky to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to talk about this one. Break hard pass. We were just saying before you jumped on that we both felt that Ireland did a pretty great job in this film. What are your What are your thoughts? She's fantastic in it. I mean, she's solid. She shows up. She does a part. She figures things out. Oh, she knows something's up, right? Bronson, of course, is the one who figures everything out. But she knows stuff's up. She's she the only innocent in the film, like if excluding military guys. Yeah. I just find she's solid in this, right? You know, if I watch British shows, right? If you watch British television, there'll always be the same actors who crop up again and again, right? And they'll have bit parts and whatever or maybe larger parts and it's like the jobbing actor and i love the jobbing actor the person who shows up they might not be the star they might be second third fourth fifth whatever and they just do a solid job and i super admire that i love how uh at one point she's kind of forgotten about for for about five minutes there and bronson actually dynamites the train right and she's on the train but there's no real there's no real concern he just said stay in your room basically so i guess he's just assuming that she hasn't wandered around the train yeah, the train's fully attacked and she seems no worse for wear in fact she's changed by the time she comes off she's put that a uh, put that a uh, jacket on so it's a pretty cool jacket actually yeah, it's a bit of a dr Zhivago kind of a vibe he's throwing down there <laughs> The uh, something I found funny is that I'm what I mean when I watched it. There's a what's his face, Governor Fairchild, I think. Yeah, yeah, Fairchild, and it's who's that, Richard Crenner, right? <laughs> I'm looking at it the whole time. I'm like, why is he picking up? Like, why is he engaged to such a like a young woman, right? Because she she looks again like she's in her twenties. She's almost she must be forty when the movie comes out, I think. And Richard Krenner is like 10 years older than her. But I mean, he looks like he could be a dad. That is true. I thought that too, but I didn't think it through like you did. I didn't realize they were so close. I did think there was a huge age difference between them. But uh, yeah, to her credit, she's looking great. I love the scene when she just lays into the to the uh, marshal. Yeah, show me that law that you can treat a man like a wild animal. <laughs> that's, the, that's the line. She's innocent and proven guilty. Are you going to leave him here like this all night? I reckon we could turn him loose in the morning. But then we'll be in snow country and he'll have no place to go. You sure got a mighty poor choice for your pity, ma'am. Then you make a mighty poor example of a lawman, Mr. Pierce. A man is innocent until proved guilty. But you've tried, convicted, and condemned. Show me the law that says you can treat a man like a wild animal. Yeah, this is a lot like Love and Bullets when, you know, he's on the floor and he's watching her lay into the marshal. And you kind of get this, for me anyway, I was like, is this the character laughing or is it this husband enjoying his his uh, wife's performance? Because it seemed like a little bit of both. It's funny. It, it's funny, too. Oh, this is that just reminded me. This is the third film we've done where there's Bronson in Ireland and they're on a train together. Yeah, true. So you get like Love and Bullets, Assassination, and this. There, there's all of those movies. There's considerable scenes where they share a train. I mean, for me, this is by far the best of the movies of those three. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, par- partially because she's she's so solid in it. She get she's been written a better role, and she she lives up to it. And I just really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I agree, man. I think this movie, uh, you know, it's a great vehicle for uh, for Bronson and certainly a great vehicle for Ireland. I've, and I thought, too, that uh, sometimes you wonder if if she's adding to the movie by being in it, right? Sorry, I know you never do, but but some of sometimes 
that's the criticism. And this movie, certainly she's, she's adding a great deal. So this one's my favorite of the ones we've watched, uh, with the exception of probably the mechanic. I mean, her role's very small in the mechanic, but, uh, I mean, the mechanics a fantastic film. So I think out of all of them, this one and the mechanic, my favorites. Well, hey, Andy, thanks very much for joining us, man. I think uh, we, uh, we're we going to press on. We're both, Ray and I, this is such a long pause between episodes that we're just fired up. So we're going to keep rocking it. But thank you very much for uh, staying awake and, uh, and and chiming in, man. It's great to see you. And uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do next, but I'm sure we'll be in touch with you sometime before too long. Enjoy your summer. Good to see you, Andy. All right. Okay, take care, buddy. Nick. Take care, Ray. Direct from London, it's The Ireland Effect. So, right, man, the next thing we should probably get into is some of the other people who are in the movie. And I made a few notes. Uh, It's a big, it's a big cast, actually. Um, Ed Lauder, obviously, we've spoken of many times. Uh, He was in White Buffalo, obviously Death Wish 3, Death Hunt. Uh, Rayford Barnes is the sergeant who dies in the train crash, right? Telling all the men to stay calm and stay in your bunks or whatever. That guy was in a, a couple of notables here, three of them, in fact. He was in Drumbeat back in 54 with, with Bronson. And that's one of the ones from the 50s. That's uh, uh, Talbot's pick from that decade. So, yeah, Guns of Diablo in 64. And then, uh, which I want to see, that's an ensemble movie, mid 60s. And similarly, Never So Few is another one in 59 that I think I've seen both, but not for a long time. Guns uh, of Diablo. Isn't Guns of Diablo that one that was two episodes of a TV show that they spliced together and like turned it into a movie? Doesn't have Kurt Russell in it or something? Yeah, I think you're right, man. Maybe that is what it is, eh? And you gave me a bargain bin uh, DVD of that. <laughs> yeah, it was like your 25th birthday yeah, or like something. Yeah, years ago or something like that. Yeah, I've got it somewhere. So uh, <laughs> Richard Crenna, uh, yeah. you know, the governor, he, and I did not pick this out, but that's that's uh, the Green Beret uh, guy, Troutman from Rambo and First Blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he looks very different in this film. <laughs> in yeah. fact he looks i find he looks older in, in this earlier film than he did in those but uh yeah. fantastic yeah uh, charles durning obviously uh this guy's got 218 credits including scarface which i didn't know about he's the voice of one of those immigration officers so you hear the immigration officers saying like so what about uh men huh you like to dress up like a like a woman or something like that to tony marinero or whatever his name is <laughs> right <laughs> and uh was burning did that voice yeah isn't that wild that must have been like a cameo or a favorite of oliver stone or totally. yeah because during was a pretty big actor like in addition to being in every burt reynolds movie <laughs> he was in uh like he was in a lot of movies i think he was a, a lot he won a lot of awards well, too, yeah he's awards. in sharky's machine man that's great yeah, yeah. Stick. That's a classic. So uh Bill McKinney, he's the other undercover agent who's disguised as a preacher who gets killed. He looks just terrible. He, like he looks like a vampire in that uh coffin. They put blood yeah. on his mouth. It's like what? <laughs> he's also in Conjite Forbidden Secrets. And uh yeah. he notably, and this blew my mind, is like, of course, he's the mountain man in, in deliverance. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He had an incredible career. <laughs> yeah, he had a, an incredible few years, for sure, at least. Uh, Roy Jensen is the train engineer, and he's also in Telephone and Breakout. So uh, Ben Johnson, too, uh, won the Academy Award for The Last Picture Show a few years prior to this film. And um, he appeared in over 100 films, but this is his only tie-in with Bronson. Something incredible about him, though, that I didn't realize until I saw this movie is that, like... He had acted in all those films, but he also ran the hundred meter in nine point nine seven seconds, and and yeah. like I actually don't care that he was on steroids because he must have been like seventy when he did that. What do people? What do people expect? <laughs> he looked a lot different, but uh... <laughs> we only I only ever listened to that on the radio, so I don't know what he actually looked like. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! For uh, like I don't know. How many listeners are going to catch well, that? Let's let them look that up. So Ben John, look up Ben Johnson and his sprint, sprinting record. Yeah. If you can get a Canadian uh, Olympic human. So listen, man, this is a, this is a film that came with a book. 
And finally, finally, we're back to Bronson's Book Corner. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear that intro. You're about to be backed into Bronson's Book Corner. All right, Big Ray, what do you got for us? Did you read this one? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. I've had this on my shelf for a while in anticipation. Uh, so I finally got to read uh, Break Our Past, published in 1974 by Alistair McLean. Uh, McLean, probably one of the best selling authors of all time, believe it or not, for anyone who may not have heard of him. Uh, and he's at the height of his popularity uh, in the 60s. Uh, he almost has a, almost sort of like to a Stephen King level of pumping out a book and having it turned into a movie, right? Remember how in the 80s, like every single Stephen King book became a movie in like five yeah. minutes? Alistair McLean was sort of like that kind of machine for a time. His second book, Guns of Navarone, is really the one that puts him on the map. Um, and then he has a string of books and or screenplays, sometimes both. Uh, he's Ice Station Zebra, When Eight Bells Toll, and Where Eagles Dare, kind of all in a row. He's firing on all cylinders. These are pretty big hit movies they make him the go-to for sort of like international cliff climbing boat exploding kind of man's action is what, <laughs> what he's known for so his reliability uh as a box office draw though it wanes pretty quickly after this heyday but it has a really long tail and they make adaptations of his movies like into the 90s um after all his name is above the title uh listeners will recognize right this is Mr. McLean's break hard pass. So even, you know, I, I can't picture the poster, but right. you know, even sort of above Bronson's name, drawing you into this, you know, to pay your money at the theaters is that it's a McLean joint, right? Uh, so this was my first Alistair McLean book. I hadn't uh, read one. I didn't know what I was, uh, you know, what I was expecting. Like my expectations were a little bit low, I got to admit, sort of some old-timey adventure. I know I knew that he had written a ton of books, but I was uh, pleasantly surprised, I got to say, with the language of the book, the writing, especially the way he sets the scene. And I think the book captures a lot of stuff that gets lost in translation in the movie. Like even just thinking of the opening scenes, that bar that that Bronson enters, right? Or gambling hall or whatever it is. Like the opening pages of the book paint a portrait of the place where everyone there is just, just despondent and hopeless. And like, you know, just like everyone's life there is terrible in this tiny nowhere town. And uh, yeah, it's it almost borders on comical kind of how how bad it is. And I don't know if that comes across in the movie, but uh, yeah, he has a real gift uh, of, of language for sure. And uh, something I really enjoyed. There's some changes, but not a lot uh, because the books out in 74, they turn some movie right away and he writes the screenplay. Uh, we do get some nice stuff between the bad guys. So like once Bronson kind of steps to the fore and he's, after them but they're all still on the train right and it's kind of racing towards the conclusion you get some nice stuff between these sort of hapless corrupt officials that don't really have any skills like the governor and uh, you know and they're up against this guy who's revealed himself to be pretty skilled and they don't really know like what they should do or so there's some scenes that are pretty amusing and interesting between them that that don't make their way into the movie that i recall but uh, yeah, so there's there's a little bit of value added. Um, it's a pretty short, it's under 200 pages. It's a pretty uh, quick read. The paperback has a nice uh, photo of Bronson uh, on the cover, looking slick. So yeah, I, I definitely advise uh, picking it up. Not, not the best uh, one that we've read so far in the book corner, but, uh, but yeah, if you, you see this for five bucks, you should definitely grab it at your used bookstore. And uh, Big Ray, man, it's time for the review roundup. And uh, because you, you know, went, went the extra mile and read that book, I got a couple of reviews for us. So I'm covered on this one. I'm covered on this one tonight. Yeah. The review roundup. So imagine this is the bad one. This is coming from E.K. Prince. I wonder if that's East Kildonan and Prince. Anyway. Probably. Yeah, it might be, eh? It's, uh, it's from the 5th of July, 2020. So not long ago. It's a darn good Western, four to 10. 
Okay. I, what? Yeah, I saw this movie when it came at theaters. Now I have it on DVD. It's probably a very underrated movie. Lots of action and a good fight scene on top of the train while it is moving. The cast is a great one with some of the best actors ever. <laughs> so I think that the I think that was an accident maybe when they put the four in or something. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe their standards are like maybe like I also like how it's probably underrated. <laughs> like they're not saying that it's underrated. They're just saying it's probably underrated. It's probably very underrated. <laughs> there might be a language issue maybe you're right man this there yeah, might yeah. be one here too this one's a 10 out of 10 okay oh, yeah good, and good. this is from um Rikasian, and it's december 2018 so four years ago uh just awesome it says absolutely awesome loved it throughout my whole life <laughs> amazing <laughs> wow. yeah that's the whole review yeah, sounds like that's. I think Andy felt that way too. <laughs> hey, that's great. Yeah, so well, that's great. it. Wow. Well, that's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, I'm interested to hear what you're going to have and give it. Yeah, well, I'm same man. I mean, <laughs> I have to admit, I don't feel quite the same as as uh, Rickasian. So, um. <laughs> The movie, to me, you know, like I said, because I hadn't ever seen it, and it was a, it was a bit of a gift. Like I hadn't uh, anticipated it being as good as it was. Uh, on the second time through, though, often these movies reveal themselves in that way. Either the first impression is just awesome, which this was, um, but then oftentimes I find if the movie's quality isn't quite there, having to watch it a, another two or three times in preparation for the episode, right? Yeah. It uh, it reveals its its flaws, and this one certainly did. So by the time I watched it the second the second pass, I really found it kind of tedious, and there was some stuff about it got really frustrating. But then I got to admit, you know, the third time I watched it, yeah. it was It'd a be the few charm. weeks a few weeks in between. I did enjoy it a little more. So I'm I'm going with a seven, Big Ray. I'm going to give mm-hmm. it a seven out of uh, out Wait, of ten. But seven what? Oh, <laughs> well. And we're all waiting with bated breath here. We don't even know what what it just got seven of. <laughs> right. Well, funny you ask, Big Ray, because uh, we're gonna go with something up your alley. We're talking about how many how many shots out of ten of the governor Scotch. Oh, okay. Yeah. So right. John Deacon throughout this film pounds the governor Scotch. Like I don't know how he stays level headed. He's just pounding that <laughs> brown liquor, whatever that was. You at know, every, at every opportunity, sometimes asking and then sometimes being a little presumptuous. John Deacon, what are you? You must have fallen off. If we back up, say maybe five miles. You certainly wouldn't have jumped off. Reverend Peabody was small. A big, strong man could have thrown him off. Me, I have an alibi. Miss Scoville, obviously, is not a strong man. But the rest of you are big, strong men. Deacon, what the hell are you talking about? You're pretty free with your theories, Mr. Deacon. And my whiskey. Damn sight better than that whiskey back in the middle. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Marsh! There's no need for that. Mr. Deacon is not a man of Helping himself to that, that bottomless decanter. <laughs> decanter. It's a beautiful decanter of scotch. I feel like just buying some hard liquor to put in a nice decanter now. But I'm giving it seven, man. Giving it seven shots. Seven shots of the governor's liquor. You know what? I'm going to come in right, right with you. I'm going to give it seven. I'm going to give it seven shots too. Wow. And, okay. Uh, I, you know what? It's a, like, I, I struggled with it a little bit. I almost went lower. I, we've, we've given, we've given some movies lower. I think we gave death hunt, for example, low. I think we might've gone sexist. I, you know what? I don't even remember. Listeners can remind us in the comments, maybe, <laughs> but there are individually on paper there are a hundred things about this movie that i love like so like it's just an embarrassment of riches of great character actors and lots of great individual moments um but then you put it all in the stew and i don't know like like i kind of said in the big idea 
doesn't really stick with anything long enough to really give you something to latch on to. You kind of bang around with all these loose moments and people for an hour and a half and, and then it's kind of over. So it's a, but in the end, I am given a seven. It's just got too many things individually to recommend it, even if the whole is a little less than some of its parts, maybe. Yeah, fully agree. It's like I said too in the in the uh, big idea section there that it just never hits high gear, man. Like it gets it gets in there around second or third. It's too bad because it had so many uh, promising ingredients, but it doesn't quite come together in the delicious. Uh, cabbage rolls or whatever you know? <laughs> into a delicious halapche um <laughs> western yeah. and mystery yeah um it's it's funny and i think i have to probably lay that at the feet of uh, uh Grise. but i wanted to give a shout out to Grise, though we never really dug into him too much i did want to mention that like if it is his fault that things kind of fall apart a little bit it's not that he's incapable of making a great movie because to me grise makes a really really great movie um that everybody should check out and that's a movie called will penny with charlton heston he makes a bunch of uh heston vehicles uh in the in the sort of late 60s and one of them is called will penny and and anybody that loves um chino uh which we haven't talked about yet but if anybody out there loves Chino, Will Penny's a must. Those two would make a great double bill. They're very similar movies, and 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 Grease does a great job with that one. But uh, the magic isn't necessarily on display in this one as much. No, man. In fact, you know what? I'm I'm ready after the number of months. What is it like? Two months that we took to get this sucker done. We're. Oh. Uh, I'm ready to move on. Like, let's go on to the next film. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. You know what I mean? So what yeah, do you think? Absolutely. I think it's, I believe it's my turn to, oh, to choose turn. here. Eh? Your turn. Yeah. I picked this one. Listen, um, man, you know what? Uh, people, uh, people got pretty excited about death wish three and they did. They there's did. a lot, you know what I, I see online too. And I'm not trying to, I'm not being critical of it. Cause I feel the same way. Like people, there's so much love for death wish three. And it feels sometimes like people just don't pay any attention or certainly not enough attention to Death Wish 4. Oh, oh. Am Is I right? Going? Oh, you're absolutely right, I think. I think, yeah. I, you know, and we can talk about what it's like with fresh eyes, but is that if that's where we're going, I think, oh. I think that's the jewel in the rough. Me too. Um, I think it's the lost, the lost DW, the forgotten Death Wish is number four. <laughs> We're gonna watch the crackdown. Full disclosure: We almost called this po- this podcast the crackdown. Remember That's that? True. Yeah. One of the first titles that I mocked up was the crackdown with Nick and Ray. Yeah. So we're we're uh, bringing it home on this one, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, I'm well. I would be. Uh, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Well, I just feel like you know we should uh, we should try to get people to expand their horizons a little bit into the other Open death wishes. Their minds, man, open their minds. <laughs> <laughs> all right big ray well man it's really i'm so glad to be back in action with you here and uh yeah, yeah congratulations on your new place there and your new, <laughs> your new compound i hope the security your training are are gonna do wonders and uh yeah yeah the dogs dogs that i've been training i hope i hope i'll make sure to like really call ahead when i do drop by eventually if i could find the place you know when i call you i'll call ahead for a map and uh yeah. Uh, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much. It won't be as long a wait this time. We've had all kinds of stuff uh, in in this break. Everything from COVID to uh, like, you know, like, yeah. So it's, it's it, wasn't been... <laughs> for, uh, it wasn't for lack of trying. No, it man. It's like a month and a half to get to this episode. Oh, you know what? I I did some home renos recently. I had a second floor window that was kind of, kind of a little acting a little weird. So I opened it up. <laughs> and an anthill fell out of the window man it was and it was ants it wasn't termites it's just like this whole like oh, 500 ants poured out of this window pane into my room so i fortunately have my shop back right there but uh 
yeah, if any of you uh, home reno experts out there want to give uh, Big Nick some uh, some advice on that, let me know. But yeah, it's not for lack of, of will or trying, everybody. Well, we're really, uh, you know, we've had a few unexpected hurdles to, to jump over, but we're back in action. I'm Nick. Well, hold on, though, Nick. Do you think we could have got in, like, like you had rigged one of those nail boards up at pretty much every window in your house. And, you know, you got that wire on the, on the pin. That, yeah, that, that, that's that true. triggers it. I bet those. I know where the, how those ants got in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're likely right. <laughs> yeah, you're likely right. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a couple of my neighbors who who are wearing wearing eye patches as well. <laughs> but uh, what are you gonna do? Go anyway, to- Big Ray. Uh, okay, okay. For Big Ray and myself, this is hard times on I was trying to remember. Uh, so, I watched Highlander the other day. And I watch it every couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't? But anyway, uh, and I watched Highlander too. I don't know, like four or five months ago. Did we watch that together? Highlander two. We. I think we went to the theater. I. Th- I. I know. I saw it in the theater, and I think it was with you yeah, guys. I think I saw it in the theater yeah. with you guys too. Yeah. That movie is an abomination, man. <laughs> Like, and I, I have a, like, I have a strong stomach for bad movies. Like I was watching Masters of the Universe last night with Dolph Lundgren. You love Dolph Lundgren, eh? I love Dolph Lundgren now. And I was enjoying the hell out of it. But like Highlander 2, like you can't even, it's just so bad. Like everything about it is terrible. And I mean, they've got the, they've got the, I think it's the director's cut. Oh yeah. Or Netflix, and I mean, it makes no even no sense. Like they tried to, they tried to make it make sense, and it makes equally or less sense. Well, in the movie, they tried. They made them aliens, right? Like they made the Highlanders. <laughs> they made them aliens, and then in the director's cut, they're like, "Oh yeah, that was." So we got to take like make them not aliens again. So they cut out <laughs> all the alien stuff, and it's yeah, it doesn't make it's even worse. There's supposedly a documentary about it. Yeah, Have you seen? No, I'd love to though. That'd be great. About the making of it, just like all the chaos. Yeah. Of it. You guys are anyway. cracking me up, Matt. We gotta go. Let's get back to it. I'm gonna no 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 I'm gonna hit When we wall. do our Highlander 2 episode, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bronson and beyond. Maybe we'll do yeah. we'll do Highlander 2. For sure. I'm sure that'll get huge review huge. Uh, I bet it I bet it would. I bet it would. <laughs> Maybe. That's, yeah, I bet it would. Yeah. All, right, All right, thanks, man. Take care. See you. See you soon, Follow brother. Man. I could talk about this shit all night long, man.